Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waff. We, man, here we are. It's the end. Five movies for Boys of Summer. What? And, another, and we had two baseball movies in a row. What the hell yeah. is going on? Boys of Summer. Boys baseball. of Summer. Even though that wasn't our intention. <laughs> it wasn't our intention. All right. This- Or was it? Uh, okay. Four years and this come this August will be our anniversary, right? We've been doing the show for that long. Breaks here and there, but we've talked about doing Tony Scott for how long? <laughs> for about four years. <laughs> four years. From that time we were sitting there at Boat Eyed talking about, you know, theme months and things like that. Is, is this our first, is this the first Tony Scott movie? We got? Is this is this our first venture into Tony Scott? I'm pretty sure. I'm, it's so I'm, funny because you wouldn't, this, this is such an odd pick for that. Right. It is an odd pick. <laughs> I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. So, so yeah, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, we've mentioned in almost every movie that that, he, that he's made. I mean, when we were talking about shit, I mean, everything, everything that's okay. I was going to talk about this right at the bat from this window of time after the hunger from 86 with Top Gun all the way through that 21, 20 year run to, to deja vu. Right. I won't right. even mention in the last three movies that uh, last two movies that he directed Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Revenge and Days of Thunder in the same year. Yeah. We just talked about Days of Thunder. Last Boy Scout 91, True Romance in 93, Crimson Tide, the better submarine movie. Yep. The Fan in 96, 98, Enemy of the State, 2001, Spy Game. Really close to covering that one, weren't we? <laughs> right. Man on Fire in 2004, Domino 2005, and Deja Vu to close out the 20-year window. Dude. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty impressive uh, body of work. Th those movies go from good to fucking great. There's nothing that flounders. There's nothing that is subpar. Everything is fucking good. And what did I text you last night when I was watching the movie? I said, I miss Tony Scott's active camera because everybody's fucking locked down now. And I hate that shit, dude. I fucking hate it. Yep. And... It's just, I know this movie is as old as it is, but I don't give a shit. All it does is just make me miss the dude's work even more. What's, what's great about this, I mean, that opening scene, dude, on the bridge, the fucking yes. phone, all that, dude, it's, it's, you're, you're in, cause it's like, you're just immersed. It's like, and you're traveling and you're, you're, you're with, you're him, you're in the car with De Niro, you're in the studio with Alan Barkin, and a very young Jack Black. And, right. Uh, you know, and then you're in the car with Snipe. I mean, it's just really, it's it's a great opening. And it's funny because not really that much. I mean, how can I, I was like, I felt myself shocked how excited I am by a phone call scene. <laughs> right. Let's say it's something to be said where every single one of his openings are just fucking, he knows how to crack open an egg when he's making this movie that it's, that says omelet. Beverly Hills Cop has this fucking same vibe, dude. Right. Right. It's just. Everything, everything he does in this window of time. Again, like you know, if you can make it, if you can make a radio phone call, <laughs> and nothing happened but two people driving in cars talking to somebody in the radio station, work right, and get you excited for the next hour and forty minutes, then shit. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, you know what's this movie? It cruises by too. It's it's a, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a it's a really like you know it's a it's a quick not quick watch but I mean it you're engaged and and you know by the time you look up it's you know it's one of those movies I didn't look at my watch. <laughs> That's good though. 
Oh well, no, as I'm saying, sometimes I, you know, it depends on how many times I look at my watch. If I could tell if I if I like a movie, I don't look. I hardly look at my watch. Right. But you know, if I look at my watch two or more times, eh, you know, two is two is kind of like all right. But any more than two times, it you know, it's kind of like oh man, you failed. You, you can't hold my interest for you know, 90 minutes to 120 minutes yeah. without me looking at my watch three times you've lost. Right. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is funny because I would say this is probably the Tony Scott movie I've seen the least. Not, not through any, but it's, it's one of those things. It gets forgotten because, you know, there's so much of his work and then, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Tony Scott made a movie about baseball. Right. You know, it's just such a weird thing. I mean, I know it's from a novel, but what's cool about it is dude, Tony Scott, he can shoot baseball, bro. He could shoot. He, I would, you know, and I, I remember, and I think about it, and I'm like, oh fuck, of course he could shoot sports. He shot Last Boy Scout. I mean, they made Last Boy Scout, which a lot of the uh, some of the stadium stuff reminds me of Last Boy oh, Scout. Totally. When I'm watching this, and, and not in more. Um, yeah, when you get to the to the end of the movie, and we're in our, at, at the tail end, we're having our big climax in the third act. It it is very much like the the end of Last Boy Scout, but also the beginning of Last Boy Scout. And fucking again, ha, opening of a movie, right? The ability of the dude to just slay his opening. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you. A, and this is kind of my. I want to make my point here. Last Boy Scout. How many people in that opening scene live past the opening? Are, are in the rest of the movie? Just zero. One, just one person. <laughs> the owner oh, of yeah. the football team. That's it. Shelly. 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 The only one that moves on. And he, we don't see him for a really long time. Right. But that's the one movie where, out of all these, that that the cold, it's a, it's a, it's a cold open. Yeah, dude. And this is also, I mean, this is also, it's Darius Wolski. Like, and I got to say, yes. like, if I went through Darius Wolski's fucking <laughs> I resume, know, I, uh, know. I guarantee it's, it'd be hard for me to find a movie I don't love that he yeah. shot. It, it, it's it's funny the way that you know you open these movies and, and then you realize oh yeah there's uh, there's no I mean I don't know Shelley yeah that's the only guy left right. I mean Billy Blanks offs himself but I mean this this film has has some of those kind of weird elements um, although what's weird about this movie is um, the way that you're introduced to Wesley, it's not in the car, right? I mean, right. It, it, we get it because, you know, you kind of get the De Niro, the whole thing, right? It starts with him and Bar and dude, Barkin, God, I, yeah. I, like I said before we got on, it makes me need to go back and like revisit some Ellen Barkin because I got to say, man, I, dude, I love Ellen Barkin on camera. Yep. Fuck, yep. dude. And she's great. She's not doing shit but sitting in a chair and fucking, you know, but the way it shot her, I mean, dude, and she has a great voice anyway, right? Right. Everything she's doing, I'm loving it. Right. I'm gonna have to go peep and go on a little, you know, mini Ellen Barkin movie. Uh, and it's funny because I had forgotten her and De Niro had worked together before in This Boy's Life. Right. No, not This Boy's Life. Was it This Boy's Life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She plays. Yeah, she's yeah. the mom. Right. This Boy's Life. I was thinking. I always get This Boy's Life, and uh, there's a movie called Desert Bloom with John Voight and I think Joe Beth Williams and Annabeth Gish, and uh, it. John Voight and uh, De Niro kind of play the same kind of like Dwight and then the Voight's character in that they're very similar and I and Ellen Barkin's in both movies. So, um, but man, uh, dude, Barkin is so good. And yeah. does she ever really share? A, she doesn't share any screen time with De Niro in this movie. They don't have any scenes no, together in this movie. No, and uh, not in vicinity of each other. No. Right. I mean, she's at the game at the end, but I mean, other than that, like really it's, she's, she's always in the studio. Right. 
And all that stuff might be my favorite stuff in the movie is the, is the phone calls, the back and forth, the radio station stuff, um, you know, her badgering Bobby, all of it. Dude, I love 90% of this movie. I love 90% of what's happening in this movie. There's 10%. There's 10%. And, and let's, uh, let's just crack it in because I want to I want to end the last third of, two-thirds of our episode just talking about how much we yeah. enjoy it. Okay, so in a lot of ways, this is, like I started to say earlier, maybe I didn't say it on mic yet. Just like with Cable Guy, the, the, the namesake of the movie is not up to snuff with everybody else that's in it. And it's surprising because... Right, because he's one of the greatest actors ever. Right, right. And, um, you know, Robert De Niro just, I don't know, man. And by the way, let, let me say this real quick. I don't know if it's the script or what, but he's like a switch, dude. The whole setup of the movie is like, he's already a, kind of a deadbeat, you know? He's Right. He's already, and he's already on the, on the outs. And then when he has his falling down moment... I don't know. I think it's too jarring. I don't know, dude. He murders somebody. Dude, I just, I dude, don't. Well, right. I mean, the thing is, he's too, I mean, he's so crazy, dude. Like, I mean, they get a restraining order, but nobody can see how crazy this is. And also, I just don't like the whole, he's an out-of-work knife salesman. He's I a know. knife salesman, it's dude. So Come corn. on. It is so it's corny. It's cornball. Yeah, it's a little cornball. But I, that's in the novel, I guess. I love how once they know after he snatched the kid and he's doing all that shit, that not one motherfucking person is going, by the way, he's probably got a fuck ton of knives. <laughs> right. They don't, right. They don't mention the knife thing until almost at the end of the movie. Dude. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And what's the deal? Like, and it, well, I don't want to. And the, this, with all the Polaroids, him taking kid, pictures of the Polaroid, you know, the, the kid. Dude. I mean, did, they, I, did, did I miss something? I, He's like, I want you to put this on the jumbo. They never put it on the jumbotron. <laughs> it's so weird. They just, I, yeah, it it just goes a little off the rails. It gets a little stupid, a little fucking Cape Fear, Max Katie, Dwight from This Boy's Life kind of stock performance. Seriously, take away that rain at the end of the movie. And again, it's like, it's very much like the opening of Last Boy Scouts. Another reason why it feels so yeah. similar, but I, I don't know, dude. It's like, it's, it's also it's, raining it's real hard for real fucking hard. <laughs> and I'm like, look, I spent some time in the Bay Area. You lived up there, you know, cl yeah. close enough anyway. I'm like going, oh man, that's really coming down really, really, really hard for April. Dude, <laughs> really, really. Dude, that looked like, it, it's, <laughs> that's what it looks like in Atlanta when it rains. <laughs> Oh, it's just kind of like, I mean, at that point, what I, I'm saying April, I mean, but at that point it's probably what July. Yeah, right. It's, it's time after the all -star breakout. Right, right, yeah. If I'm trying to track. <laughs> okay. So let me just say this about, about De Niro in general in this movie. He's more out of place. The Benicio del Toro's hairstyle in this dude, Benicio <laughs> del Toro. I, but I will say that I, I think Benicio del Toro is great in this oh, movie. He's great. The the only thing missing from him, dude, is like a grill. Like they're, they're clearly going the, as far as his style, his hairstyle, his just the, the clothing, and everything. He the, the, his whole thing is like him becoming a, a, a South American ball player, becoming Americanized. That we've seen it. Right, he's like a Dominican, a kid from the Dominican right. Republic. Yeah, we've seen we've seen them the, the influence of the United States on younger players coming in from South America. Yeah, one hundred percent. So the hair thing is falls in line with that. He's reading magazines and he makes his hair like that, even though no one's there to tell him, don't do that because it doesn't look good. He looked Corey Haim from uh, Tiger Beat <laughs> from 84. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, 
oh shit, that's I'm, I'm gonna, team beat, tiger beat, <laughs> accuracy. And I, I gotta say, I really love the agreement that a lot of times with these movies, you, you don't always have a symbiotic relationship with major league baseball or the NFL or anything like that. that. I was just wondering, like, you know, right. You're seeing, cause it's not like there's shine away. It's the San Francisco giants. It's the Atlanta Braves. It's all sanctioned by MLB dude. And I know for a fact, um, from working on a film that we, when we were trying and we were, you know, it's, it's not easy dude, no. to get the MLB to sign off on things now. I mean, uh, they would never, ever, ever sign off on this now, this movie. No. A guy killing a kid, <laughs> kidnapping right. a kid, stabbing a player in a, sa- in a hot, t- in a, in a spa, a sauna. Come on. Yeah. It was always obvious to me why the NFL didn't green light last Boy Scout because they're just talking about the corruption of the league. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah totally. Shane Black really had uh, an ax to grind the way he wrote that. And I've loved some of his post interviews about, about how shitty he thinks the whole sports business is. And this isn't, this kind of touches on that a little bit, but it's more from the player's point of view yeah. of what it's like. Like, I mean, as far as like for, um, uh, for Bobby Rayburn, Wesley Snipes' sure. character coming to the, the, the hot free agent that he was. It's yeah. so, by the way, it's so funny. Forty million. When I hear that, I'm kind of like, shit. Forty million. Whatever, dude. <laughs> well, forty million a year. You know, in '96 was giant money, dude. Well, not like, forty million a year, but forty million well, for oh, how was that forty million for his whole deal? I mean, yeah, they, yeah, never yeah. Really, is that what it was? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, not, not really. '96, '96. Yeah, that was because that was that was still post Bobby Bonilla bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, it was before exactly. It was before Bobby, but Bobby Benilla is probably still getting paid. He is. No, he, yeah. I think he's good through twenty twenty five. I think that's the number. Fucking yeah, something re- like that. Ridiculous. Right. I remember, yeah, but yeah. I, I so I tell you what really lends that 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 uh, the sanctioned and and green light thumbs up that they're getting from the MLB really helps sell the whole vibe too for the movie. Yeah, and I think that's why it feels so true to. I don't know. You and I have gone to many, many, many games over our lifetime. So it feels, it feels accurate. It feels like you always have a mixed bag of critical, yeah. critical fans, passing Dude. fans, fans that were just gifted tickets. They've never been to a game before. It really, I mean, almost oh. every scene that the, he showed the crowd, right? Also, it really speaks to the fickleness of fans in general, exactly. like, right? Like, exactly. dude, when you're, when you're, when you're on a hot streak and you're, you, you know, you know, 17 for 29 in your last three or four games. And, and then you go, you know, then, then the next week, you know, you're in the middle of a over 19 slump dude. And you know, everyone's booing you and throwing beer at you. I remember being in an angels game where they threw beer. I think it was at fucking Chili Davis. And I think <laughs> Chili Davis went into the fucking stands. Dude. This was like in the nineties. I'd have to fact check myself, but I, I feel like it was Chili Davis, but it was, you know, but I mean, dude, like, you know, this is not that far removed from that, dude. When you know fans would get fucking brutal, dude. Yeah, I mean, at the heart of the movie, that's that's the thing that's the weirdest. Um, that that's in the scene where you know after De Niro miraculously shows up to save the kid, which mm-hmm. you know, if I was you know you know do you I guess Bobby's so so relieved that his kid was okay that he didn't think it was just weirdly out of place that this fucking weird fucking creepy guy who wants to throw baseballs to him just having to show up right and save his kid right. But anyway, I mean, all that aside, the thing that's cool about this movie is the dude, the cast is great. Oh, like, yeah. And I, and like, I, I'm not shitting on it. I love De Niro, but this is just one of those, I feel like this is kind of one of those weird stock performances, like that, that kind of plagues some of the stuff he did in the nineties, right. you know, right. post, uh, 
I think you said Goodfellas. I would say it's, uh, I guess that would be, because Cape Fear was after, right? And I feel like there's a lot of these performances weird, <laughs> like after Cape Fear. Right. Like like he that and the Frankenstein that he did with uh, Kenneth Branagh. I mean, <laughs> like you said, there's it, that kind of creeps into this a little bit. Yeah. There's some movement things where he's like, we're like, I never noticed them before. Right. For him to do this, I mean, in that really window window of time we were talking about Goodfellas, I mean, he did, did Casino the fucking year before. Yeah. And it's, it's, just so, a, it's just, yeah, it's just weird. It was just a very odd choice for him to make this movie. And it's like, they could have, and this is like we were talking about before with Cable Guy, they could have put a lot of other people that were hot at that time in this. Well, I mean, I think Snipes wanted to play Gil Renard originally. That, I mean, okay. You know, I mean, that would work. I mean, it's a totally different movie. I, I could buy him as a guy who maybe was cut in the minor, you know what I mean? Like, my, my biggest complaint with it, I guess, is he just seems too old to have that that be his kid. Yes, away. I, dude, I, I can't disagree. You know, it's like, it's like maybe his grandson. <laughs> and when when did he play Little League in the 50s? Right. When, when, the kid, when the kid, when he shows up to take the kid, I'm like, who the fuck's the kid? Yeah. I mean, what is he stealing? Is he snatching that kid? <laughs> What's going on here? Oh my god! I mean, yeah, I can totally buy him being the dad of of the of the kid's mom. Like he's a he's, he's a, it's it's a bad grandpa. Bad grandpa. Twenty five totally. years early. <laughs> yeah, uh, the thing with some of the stuff that's cool, uh, like dude, two of my favorite little cameos in this. Yes. are one <laughs> is you. Uh, well, John Crook shows up, right? And uh, I laughed. And Stony Jackson. Don Davis from Stargate SG-1 is like the first person you see when we go into the locker room for the first time, Uh, you know, and then, uh, but dude, it it, it kind of made me nostalgic. Uh, You know, I I think this was maybe his last or second to last, but Charlie Hallahan, Mm -hmm. uh, who plays Coop in the movie. Dude, I get so, I got so like, when I saw his name, I was like, oh, and I, I totally forgot. We don't show up until the way towards the end. And he's the moment where he's just, he realizes what's going on. Here's the thing that's so funny about that. Cause he takes him a second to kind of realize right, that who he is. Who, who Gil oh, is. Oh my gosh, it's Gil. Right. And we don't know how long it's been since they've seen each other. Correct. And then he tells him how long it's been since he's seen each other. I'm like, holy shit. And yeah. how nuts. It's, you already think that, that Gil is off his fucking rocker, all the shit that he's doing. But then you realize how off his fucking rocker he is. Right, right. And then for, for Coop to look at him and react the way he did because he had made no announcements on the, on the news about it. So right. he saw him and right away he, you just see the blood leave his body. Right. And it's just like, if this guy was like, you were a fucking nutbag when we were 12. Yeah. <laughs> so dude. Yeah. That, and that whole moment where he's trying to keep Rayburn's kid chill and just, just be patient, you know, just, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And he's just because the kid has no idea really what's going on, but Coop knows, he knows that this is, I got to get this kid out of here or he's going to kill all of us. Dude, I love the way he throws the ball over his head and De Niro doesn't end it. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, right. You know, it takes him a minute to realize that like Coop's like, now you're a nut. Yeah. Get out of here, kid. Yeah. Run. And it's like, uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's rough. So I want to add, there's, <laughs> 
MC Ganey is we talking about the crowd scenes, right? There's yeah. a great character with Gil, and he's being a punk ass to his kid. He's just being a total shit to his kid because he he's got this. I mean, he's super desperate. He hasn't had his total falling down moment yet, because but he has to go and and he, and he's basically been told before this that if you don't if you don't get this account for this this the sales account with this company, you're fucking done. So he's stuck because there, he can only meet with this guy at one time. And it's in the middle of opening day, which is what he's taking his kid to. So he leaves his fucking kid. But before that, he gets in a quick argument with MC Ganey sitting up a few rows behind him, which is pretty great. But there's one other cameo that I wanted to mention. It's fucking rad. So any feel, any fans of the Shield are going to hear this name and go, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Michael Jace plays a tickets cover. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dude. When I, I'm again, I haven't seen this movie in, and if I, if to say I, it's been since I saw it in the theater in 96, it, it wouldn't be a stretch. I was like, holy fuck. I think I've seen the shield three times through. So to, as soon as I see his face, I'm like, is that Jay's? Oh shit. And he's just as fucking cool in his 30 seconds on the screen as he is on the shield. Yeah, totally. I mean, there, there's a bunch of little cameos and that's a, that's a thing, you know, from this period, like, you know, the late mid to late nineties stuff that, uh, probably starting with Crimson Tide, right. I would say, uh, because I feel like True Romance, while it does have a giant cast of that, but I guess you go back to True Romance, a lot of those people were kind of still unknown quantities because, uh, Sam and Jackson hadn't, Pulp Fiction hadn't happened yet. Right. You know, Glenn Palmer, speed. None of those things had happened yet. I mean, right. so it's funny cause I, I woke up real early this morning, you know, a little too early and I flipped on in true romance and I watched, so I watched about half a true romance and I was right. like, oh, cause I told you I was going to watch this last night, but for some reason, Hulu would not load, which I don't know if it was a Hulu. I'm, I'm guessing it was a Hulu issue because when I, when I went to load it up today, it was all fine and dandy because I, I debated on renting this, but I couldn't verify that renting it was going to be any better like for the uh, for the format because I feel like that's the one thing I watched on Hulu even though you'd already yeah. told me it was 16 by 9 which there's a world where I, I, I'd like to see it in its original aspect ratio because it's beautiful movie it's right. beautifully shot right. and it's you know it's Tony Scott right. but I still enjoy the shit out of it um, but like the people who showed up, sort of show up in this uh, outside of uh, Brad Hankey yeah, Brad William Hankey who uh a lot of people recognize probably from, uh, he was in a ton of stuff, dude. He was in Fury. He was in Choked with Sam Rockwell. He's just a character actor. He was a big dude. I worked with him. He was in the Steve Jobs movie that I did. And he's the guy that owned the uh, the shop where uh, Jobs and those guys came and sold their first Apple computers. I didn't realize he died. He's 56, dude. He died in 2022. Crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. One of the things I'll say about, you know, I'm kind of re, I want to hammer this home. It tells you how good the movie is visually, but it just all it does is just make you yearn for the the two thirty the two thirty nine that this movie is because there's there are some times where you are getting them a little squished. Yep, they are getting they're all getting pin, a little bit pinched. I should say not squished, but they're getting pinched. And for a movie, and this is something I don't think people I think people kind of get lost on people when you end up pushing 16 by nine on a one eight five. Um, that's one thing, but you, you push in yeah. on a two thirty nine. It's, it's closer to pan and scans closer to four three than it is. Cause you're just, you're missing so much information. I mean, I mean, you're missing a lot on the left and right sides. 
forget about the top and bottom, especially, but when it comes to Tony Scott, you're missing the most important parts of it, which are those, the left and right side that get cut off. You're, you're missing probably a good, what, a third, maybe? maybe yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Close to that. It's, yeah. and it, it's a drag. So when you were having trouble with Hulu, I said to you last night, hey man, we'll rent that shit. <laughs> but I, well, so did you rent it? I did not. I did not. See, I, I couldn't verify that it was going to be in the correct aspect ratio. So I didn't rent it either. I was like, okay, if Hulu loads, I'm watching it on Hulu. And if it, if it gives me any fucking trouble, I'm just going to go pay the three ninety nine to watch it. But I couldn't verify it on Prime what the aspect ratio was. When I watched it on Hulu, it was 100% not 5-1. Right. But it is here on uh, Apple. So there's a really good chance that, that, that the digital is 239 yeah. I mean, again, you know, if I get, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I, I don't know that I could sit and watch it again right now, but at some point <laughs> I'd like to revisit it again. Uh, I only, I'm only saying that because it, it's, it's one of those movies that like, dude, what it was so great about it is I hadn't seen it in so long that it was almost like seeing it for the first time. Right. Being so excited about the whole opening of it with the, uh, you know, the driving scene and, uh, but dude, there's, there's several great pieces in it. And I love the, I dude, I love the way, even as goofy as it is, it's the moments that are goofy, but still somehow they work like the, when he follows, um, Primo into the, you know, into the steam room right. and, uh, the, 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 reveal on the stab is pretty crazy. Right. Like it's, it's, it's done super well. And dude, the way the blood is pumping up out of that knife, over the handle, yeah. over the little hip. I mean, it's really well done. And again, it, of course, it's Tony Scott and and Darius. So, but man, what a fucking! There, there's some great, great pieces in this movie, dude. That that the, even as goofy as it as it becomes at one point, and some of it's absurd. Some of it I find to be absurd, but it's still, <laughs> it's fascinating to watch. Like the scene with the kid when De Niro wants to pitch to the kid, like just like he pitched to Bobby, right. and he's got Charlie Hallahan catching for him. Right. Old Coop, right? But it's just, it's the lighting, it's the way it's shot. I mean, it, it really, like, the only thing missing from it is the Bernard Herman score <laughs> to, like, really drive home that Cape Fear. But, I mean, I don't mean that as a bad, like, I love the way the movie's shot. And, and right. again, sometimes that stuff works, but for the most part, it, it, just, it just comes off as silly, and it, it kind of kills those moments. And that's kind of the last thing I want to say about it. I think we should just spend the rest of the episode just celebrating the fan because I feel like it's a movie, a Tony Scott movie that people don't ever talk about because they probably don't watch it. Right. I feel like this domino and revenge, right? Right. Like I feel like those are three movies that Scott made that are kind of overshadowed by his bigger commercial successes, but they're actually dude. Revenge is might be one of my favorite Tony Scott movies. Right. And I know it, it, it's, it, it's not seen that lot. Okay. We were 100%. The fifth movie was going to be a Tony Scott movie, no matter yeah. what. It still might be. Who knows? <laughs> and we threw out what uh, oh, is it? Because this is the one. This is it. This is number five. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh right. I thought we, yeah for their bonus stuff. Uh, yeah, oh, but that yeah, was another yeah, thing. Yeah, it was another. That's another thing. <sighs> yeah. uh, but I'm looking at the list. One, two, three, four, five other movies were part of the ones that we threw out there. And then we just went, well, if we're going to call it Boys of Summer, we maybe we should throw in another baseball movie. But this was a backup because the other thing fell through. Right. And we're still going to do that down the line. And uh, obviously, it's a Tony Scott movie. Otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing that. So you right. still in that for a little bit. And it's not what you think it is, damn it. It's <laughs> so, not what you think. But I want to talk about, the since we can kind of 
bounce off of that scene you're just talking about that was a little goofy and, and build on the good stuff from it. Brandon Hammond is the one who plays Snipes' kid. Yep. You recognize him because he is in Tales from the Hood. He's in The Boys Get Bruised where David Allen Greer is the stepdad that's beating him yep. and his mom. And that kid is such a great fucking actor. I wish he got to, you know, kind of do something a little more with this. But as soon as I'm watching the kid going, motherfucker, why is this kid look so familiar? And then I'm like, I looked up looked up his his uh, his filmography. I'm like, yeah. So just the year before with Tales, Tales from the Hood. Isn't he in Strange Days too? He is. He plays- uh, Bassett's Kid. Bassett's no? Kid, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He kid had a nice little window of time where he was doing some big high profile shit, man. Right, he played the young Michael Jordan in Space Jam. Yes, he did. I forgot about that one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the kid is really good, and it's like it's kind of a bummer that you know we didn't, he didn't get a chance to really do more with it. And you know, the rest of the way, like that's probably the biggest stuff he did. He did so many big things like that. I don't know if he retired. Did he retire from from acting? God, he's only fucking thirty nine, dude. Yep. I remember. That I think the last thing I saw with him was probably Blue Hill Avenue. Yeah, that's about right. I feel like I saw this and Belly and a bunch of those kind of movies at the same time. Yeah, Waiting to Exhale. Also, he's yeah. he's in that. Does he play Bass's kid in that too? Maybe. I I don't remember Waiting to Exhale. Oh, he's in Soul Food too. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, and Mars Attacks. So in Waiting to Exhale, he plays John Harris, Bernadine, and John Jr.'s son. So guess who it is? Angela Bassett. <laughs> that's Bernadine. There you go. So, that's crazy. Give me two movies in a row where you played. Yeah, Angela Bassett is your mom. That's wild. Right. There are three things that just stand out in this movie to me on the, in the on the, the plus side. Uh, I mean, I, I could I could do without the repetitive Nine Inch Nails needle drops, but the songs they put in here are good. Um, I, I felt like, you know what would work better? This is just, here's my only qualm I have with, with the music, and I'm just, and I'm not really trying to be negative about it. It was it just, because the rest of the time it works. Is that with all the Nine Inch Nails stuff, they sh- I wish they would just use the instrumental versions of it at moments yeah. where instead of hearing Trent sing the same lines again. That's my only issue I've got with it. But this soundtrack as a whole, man, you got to... It's a, an awful lot of Stone songs in there, dude. Yeah. I mean, they, well, they had money for it, obviously. Yeah, just for the movie, because it's not on the actual uh, released soundtrack. Yeah. Neither is any of that NIN stuff. It's all it's all like Terrence Trent Darby and uh, some other stuff on there, but that's pretty much it. Um. You hear that fucking helicopter? <laughs> do you hear that hel- helicopter? Yeah, is it from the movie? <laughs> Shit. Might as well be. Um, we've been, this is like the fourth fucking night in a row. And they're, because you know what they're doing? They're going by the wash. Oh. They're looking for homeless people. I thought it was because of the solstice. <laughs> Shit. Fucking, it's the full moon, bitches. It is, man. It's the longest day of the year. The sun's just going down. There is a name in this too. Um, so it's always, we, we, I rarely talk about this kind of stuff, but a Tony Scott staple, Christian Wagner is the lead editor on this. I, I think he did every one of his movies. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Christian is, um, you know, people, you hear about people, oh, I'm a script doctor. Well, Christian is one of those guys as he is, if your movie's fucked up, and you shot all you're going to shoot. He's one of those top five guys that you call in to fix your shit. He is one of my favorite editors because 
He's got some signatures in there that you think are just because like, oh, he's working with Tony Scott. So it makes it's it's more Tony Scott. But no, it's it really is him. And his shot choices are always so fucking keen. I can always tell when he's cut something. You get to the end of the movie where that doesn't have any opening title credits and you get to the end. I see his name. I'm like, shit, I could have guessed that. He's fucking fantastic. Claire Simpson also is one of the co-editors on there. I think he's probably the, cause he's always on Tony's movies. He's probably the lead and she's probably the, the secondary editor because a big movie like this had a release date and it was a weird, it's a weird time too. We talked about boys of summer. This is the only one of the movies that we're covering that didn't come out in June is an August 16th release in 1996. And that's a, that's a late summer. That's almost like a, I'm going to bury your ass kind of thing. Yeah. I want to say there was not a troubled production, but I, I feel like they were doing reshoots on it. Cause they, I remember there's the scene with the cancer ward, right? Like, with, oh. and I remember getting like a phone call. This is like when I was early in my, when I first got into the union and I remember getting a phone call to come in. It was like, I got it late on a Friday and I was just finishing. I was on a show and I got somebody called me to come and uh, work over the weekend because they had to have a set ready. I think to shoot on Monday and Tony had done a walkthrough on Friday night and he loved everything, but he wanted it on another floor, I think, or something. I didn't take the call because I was like, no, I, I'm, I'm beat. I didn't do it because I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't honestly didn't know Tony Scott was directing it because they, you know, someone was like, yeah, the fan, whatever. And this was pre-internet and, you know, you, you'd get, people would call you. You couldn't look up on the, you know, IMDB and you didn't really ask those kind of, well, who's the director? <laughs> you know, none of that mattered. But I remember, uh, I feel like it was, I feel like it might've been like a, like a reshoot of some kind or something right. um, or additional photography or something. But yeah, it's weird that they dumped this like in August. This is when, like, we always talk about how they used to dump movies and, you know, the dumping ground of August and February. And for a Tony Scott movie, right? Like, especially right. after... I think this was this right after Crimson Tide, or was there something wedged in between? No, Crimson no, no. Tide? Yeah, it was Crimson Tide than this. Yeah, yeah. So it's so weird, right? And then after this was Enemy of the State. I, why are you putting out a baseball theme movie in August at the end of baseball? Yeah, well, that's the dog days of summer. No, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just think I think that was again we talked about how it's still summer. Sure. Um, I, I think the big problem, I mean, what else came out that weekend in 96 when we talked about this during cable guy, you, yeah, there was a Day. lot of, there were yeah, a lot of big ass movies. Well, they probably, I mean, maybe they just didn't, you know, this, this is not the kind of movie that could go up against those kind of big ass blockbusters. No. And it did, definitely didn't find an audience either. It, it, it nope. uh, was a 55 million weird, dollar movie right? pulled in, uh, just the domestic 18.6 yeah. at that time. Good luck selling a baseball movie like this overseas. Right. So. Yeah, well, exactly. It's funny too because like Snipes was hot. This was, you know, Wesley was still, you know, this was this was one of I, I, maybe this is toward the end of that run because I feel like you know toward the end of that run, you know, Wesley's his box out his his box office kind of peaked like what in like ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, like with uh, Passenger fifty seven and those kind of things. But I feel like you know there was a like a meteoric rise to the top and and then. Boom! Right, because you go if you if you start ninety, is that when uh, New Jack City was right? And we we're saying that that's yeah. where you kind of launched. Yeah, ninety one. So you you're looking at as far as a co-headlining situation, or at least a high profile supporting gig with Mo Betta Blues, right? And then New Jack City the next year, then right. Jungle Fever, White Man Can't yep. Jump in ninety two. 
Passenger 57 and 92 also. Right. Boiling Point, Boiling Rising Point. Sun, and Demolition Man, all three of those in the same year. Now, when yeah. you mentioned about him possibly playing Gil, he, to me, I totally envisioned him being played by it in the same way he played Simon Phoenix, like a little bit nutty, a little bit over the top. But right. his range, and I'm uh, sorry, in 96, I would have believed Wesley Snipes being charming motherfucker on the radio at the beginning of the movie. Not, and, right. I, and that, by the way, that's not the best parts of De Niro in the movie are, is that very beginning and like, all right, good. And then because it, it's such a drastic difference and not just because of how the character is written, just his performance is so violently different. Right. I could totally see Wesley pulling it off, you know, being that just a lick below Simon Phoenix when he finally kind of loses his shit throwing the baseball, right? Oh, With also, his old- right, I feel like he's closer in age to Bobby, right? Like if, if yeah. Wesley is playing, you know, you could see, you could, you could see where that would be like, you know, you have what I wish I had, you know, not like I've been sitting on this for 40 years since I played little league in 1955. I mean, I'm so confused, dude, by the end of that. Like when, when he meets Coop and they're talking and once you, and then, cause he literally looks like a grandfather. He looks like this again. I mean, here we are. I I don't want to hammer on him, but no, I mean, he just looks, he it's, there's, there's too much of an age gap. I feel like like, I feel like he would have had his falling down moment long before, uh, you know, 1996. At, you know what I mean? Right. At, at that point, it's just such a weird, right. it's a weird thing. And I, and I didn't even think about it until you said falling down, dude. That's like the perfect, like, that's exactly what he is. He's he's literally Michael Douglas's character in falling down. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where, what he... Without all the subtleties. Right. And then that's the thing about the reason why you're able to kind of understand where Michael Douglas's falling down character is coming from is just like everybody's kind of been there and just has a fucking shitty day where things just keep piling and piling and piling. Um, But he he's not intentionally murdering people. No, he's not (laughs) like, I mean, look, dude, the lack of fucking reasoning and shit like. That scene that where this, it's like the second phone call, maybe right, like right. where uh, he's like, "Yeah, maybe I should have you talk to Primo," right? You know, and then and then that look on De Niro's face, and I'm like, "Oh no, man!" It was like, and because when he him doing what he does to Primo, killing him in the sauna, he hasn't felt totally spurned yet by Wesley Snipes. He's not doesn't right. feel like he's been burned by him yet. He's just kind of like going, "Oh, you know what." I'll help him remember me. I'm going to do this great favor for him that he's asking me to do. Cause he translates that, that off the cuff humorous crack that he makes about maybe he's Dr. Primo and takes it far too seriously because, and of course, no surprise. He fucking murders the guy. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Well, also man, what they, they get the most inept police department in the world oh working on this God. case. Yeah. If they can't figure out, like they didn't think like, Hey, maybe who is that guy that keeps calling in his <laughs> gill fellow? Like, you know, listen, listen to this. Cause you know, it's all recorded, right? Like, right. you know, and the fans are booing him. They're holding up signs to say, who killed Primo? Like, like they're looking at Snipes, like Snipes did it. Right. It's so, it's such a weird thing. And then it just doesn't go anywhere. Okay, yeah. By know? the way, that is, if there, if there was one thing aside from our lead's performance that I have issue with, it is just kind of like rubs me the wrong way, is how the fans are after Primo's been killed. And this right. is the first game afterwards. And I'm now like, we all get to wear number 11. Yeah. Thank I you, mean, John Crock. 
Thank you, Crucky. That part was kind of funny. It was kind of chuckling. Yeah, it did make me laugh. Because they were, I mean, I get the, I get the whole thing. But the way the fans are, they, they were acting like he's the one that killed him. It was like, like you know, yeah. like, I'm like, going, that's just, that's too, and it's not just that. And then a week later, right? they love him. Yeah. Good God. I, I mean, I guess that's how you have to show it in a movie. I, 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 I mean, I guess. I don't know. Maybe there's a different version of this movie that goes a little bit. If the cops do start looking and and they're looking, it, it gets a little more. It could be a little more Hitchcockian if right. they had started looking at Snipes, right? Right. And he's like, no, no. I mean, you know, what about who, look at the in the whoa? So it's a mystery guy from the radio. You know what I mean? Well, what, I, I kind of expected all that to happen at some point when I saw it originally, and it just never did. But it doesn't matter. Take take yeah. Take away us seeing Primo get killed. Yeah, take that away. Like, say, let's just say we we hear about it. And it's, it happens off screen. That is that that that, that is the Hitchcock aspect of it, yeah. where you could lead it down the line. Of, because look, we've already seen Wesley Snipes track him down at the strip club, so he knows right. how to find him. Again, this is all. And we saw them fighting in the bathroom. Right. We've already like we've been down this road. We know that if he ends up dead, you can kind of go, "Oh shit, was it him?" Yeah, they set it up. And by the way. When you get to that moment where where Gil says, "Oh yeah, go ahead and look in your freezer," and you see the the the, <laughs> it's kind of my favorite part. It is, but but <laughs> but how did the cop right? You do that. You're doing that because you're as if Gil's going to set you're him setting up. him up, correct? But he doesn't. And how come? No, I mean, why? You know, why wouldn't? Uh, here's the thing. Autopsy, right? And right. they find his body in there, and then right. they're like, "Oh my god, somebody cut the fucking brand off of him." Who, you know. Someone peeled, you know, there's not an open investigation. There's, I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to think about it too much because now I'm going to, now I'm going to start like I'm picking the movie apart and I'm not. Well, because, no, but, the, but, the, but the, that's the only thing that you really, I have an, I have an issue with is just the, the motivation of our lead character doesn't make any sense with some of the stuff that he does. Right. And where's he going with the kid? <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, and the kid and the dog doesn't matter. I, mean, I know we're trying to set up some. You were, they're, 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 the intent is to set up some suspense, and it's there. But you know what ruins yeah. the suspense? And I'm going to go back there again. It's him singing. I don't need to hear singing him sing shattered. shattered. <laughs> God, no, no, no. no. I, it, it, and then, but it, here's the thing: is, Tony Scott was a Tony Scott as a had a sense of humor. He did, and I think he just kind of. And, and you know what? I bet you it was one of those things where he just kind of goes. You want to go ahead and do that, Bobby? You go ahead and sing that song if you feel like it. <laughs> go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> You're going to be a complete idiot, but go ahead. Sing that song. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, so Wesley Snipes would have been all of 33 years old. Yeah. Playing Rayburn, Ray, Ray Rayburn at this point. So Yeah, it would have just been a different movie. Right. That's a perfect, he's a perfect free agent kind of signing because that age wise, right? Yeah. And of course you're going to feel that it, it, you're always going to have the, the, the fan in this case is always going to be more relatable in this, in this story anyway, to a guy closer to his age. It's kind of like, right. Because so when you're busting his balls about going, you, are you listening to me now? You listening to me now? You're like, are you paying attention to me now? Do you care now? And I'm like, you know what? If you were, if he was 15 years younger than it's, we're having a different conversation. Yeah, Totally. That's the only bummer about it because, again, an amazingly diverse cast, people at different points of their career just fucking bringing it. By the way, got a kick out of the fact that Jack Black is, again, playing... <laughs> little techie he, guy. Yeah, he's playing, the, he's playing the background broadcasting dude again. <laughs> hey, at least he didn't... Does he have any lines? He does. Yeah, yeah, right, he's, he does, right? Yeah, 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 because he's, he's handling the radio with the incoming yeah. calls. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh shit. Don't this is another one I don't want I don't want to forget to mention. Kurt Fuller. Yep. Is uh Jewel Ellen Barkin's sidekick. Fuck, dude. He's fun. I just wish he did a little bit more. But I love how right. he, but I love how he plays a character, how he's kind of resigned to the fact that this is her show and I'm just here to, to spout bullshit once in a while. And John Leguizamo kind of channeling Scott Boris. Yep. Yeah. Uh shit. Who else are we doing? I don't want to miss up miss anybody here. Um Patty Darbneville. Yep. I mean, I, I never can say her name, but yeah, uh, I, w- I totally forgot, dude. When she shows up at the baseball game, she's good, dude. When she fucking grabs the bat and swings it at him. Right. Right. Okay. What's your? I, I, I was trying to look this up before. I can't find down find out when she was born. But talk about the ages for a second here, right? Where is she age wise compared to De Niro? She was born. She's 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 about eight years younger. I think she was born in nineteen fifty one, and I think De Niro was born in forty three. Okay, I'm I'm totally accept. She I buy her being the kid's mom. Yeah, she's like forty five. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That works for me. I'm like, yeah. So she had a way in life. Good fucking deal. But it's it's just that it just feels weird. The rest of it. Um, but she's wonderful in it. Oh, she again. She's another one of those people. I wish she was in it a little bit longer. Um, yep. Chris Mulkey shows up. Yep. As Tim. I think that's it, really. I, mean, I think we covered everybody early on, but everybody is. Oh, sorry. There's one person playing himself on opening day, singing. Uh oh. <laughs> Aaron Neville. You right? Opening day singer. I saw. I, 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 it's funny. I saw the Neville brothers. God, I don't know. Like when we were doing Unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, everybody's like. Because I think the whole family just they don't tour. They just played in in. Uh, yep. In Louisiana. Yep. Down there in uh, New Orleans. It's on Hulu, all right? I would behoove you to, to rent it for $2.99, $3.99, depending on which, what services that you're, you you rent from, to see it in the best way possible. If not, I'm sure you all already have Hulu, and it's fine. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm just laughing. I was thinking about the, uh, the, the stupid interchange with, with uh, Gil and his kid about Mick Jagger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, so- I, I don't want, I mean, I don't want to get it, but it, I, it just makes me laugh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Kill's got no tolerance for fucking anybody. No, dude, no. not even his own son. <laughs> oh my God. And look what he does to his son in the movie. And not just, yeah. it isn't just, you know, the trauma that kid leaving him behind the ballpark. He, is my daddy in trouble? There, there is a time thing. To uh, and it's you know, when you have a clock, right? You you do have a clock yep. in this situation. Anybody that's gone to a ball game, especially at Candlestick Park, you know Dude. you're not going to be on the road that fucking fast, right? No, God, no. And they were smart in that they didn't show what time he gets to the to yeah. the the uh, to the vendor, or not the vendor, to the client. Before we before we wrap this up, what I had forgotten about was I forgot it almost turns naked gun at the end. Dude. He slides into the he slides into home and the ump calls him out and I immediately I forgot. I forgot too. I'm like, I oh my god. Too. And he looks at him and I'm like, oh my god, it's Enrico Palazzo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? Like I, I I literally was like it was it was so silly, but like you know, but dude, Snipes' reaction to it is great. And yep. it's, it, you know, the whole, like the, the fight, the, the way it all goes, but uh, it, it did smack of the naked gun yeah. for a moment. Right. I mean, I'm not wrong. I did. I'm not just like, 
I'm, you're there with me, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, why, when, it, when it happens, it's just kind of go. <laughs> it's Enrico Palazzo. And he just goes, I'm like, yeah, I'm waiting for MC Ganey to stand up and say. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I'm, oh, dude, I swear to God. <laughs> oh, like it's Aaron Neville. Right? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, look, it's, it's. Okay, I know we were a little we were a little rough on on the on De Niro's performance in this, but don't this isn't cable guy. Don't let it shake you. This is still no, a fucking look, Tony Scott movie and it kicks ass. So yeah. yeah, it's it's just one of the Tony Scott movies I think that nobody sees and nobody right. talks about. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it. And it kind of worked thematically with the baseball and everything else. And, and right. we both liked the movie. Yeah. Uh, and we both hadn't seen it forever. So and I couldn't remember here's the funny thing. I couldn't remember anything about his performance. Like really, I did, I, I didn't remember. I remembered. <laughs> I don't think I remembered De Niro being that, uh, <laughs> it's the trauma, know. man. The trauma pushed it all down. <laughs> it, right. Like I totally forgot. <laughs> oh, Just make it go away. <laughs> man. All right. Well, that does it for our uh, boys of summer month. We got a fun July planned ahead, um, and uh, yeah, that should be fun. We actually, um, we'll talk more about this on Kickstarter next week, um, but uh, if you're listening to this a year in advance and it's not 2023 or whatever it is, listen to the Kickstarter episode next to find out what's coming up, or you're just going to look whatever movie comes out now. Who gives a shit? We got uh, some stuff that we recorded a while back that is going to be hitting in July that we've been looking forward to putting out there, so Yay! Anyway, if you want to follow us on the socials, it's at Karate Pot on Twitter, Insta, and Letterboxd. On Letterboxd, uh, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp, and on Insta, it's Culprit97. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram, or you can follow me at Gil Renard on Letterboxd. It's Gil Renard with a nard. No, you know, we'll never go full Bernard. <laughs> <laughs>